You're listening to Women Making Waves. Well, Linda, Sarah Glover, she's set up this amazing charity called Born to be Beautiful and she's done a lot of hard work, hasn't she, supplying some skills to the women and ladies in Uganda. And in India as well. And in India as well. I thought she was wonderful. Very, very interesting topic. Basically, she discovered that lots of women out there had been forced into prostitution and other kind of slave labour, some in terrible, terrible conditions. And her thinking is that if you train them with a, a, a job and train them in doing something, then they won't ever starve. I think that's a great idea. Mm. And it's, a, it's been a bit of a journey for Sarah, and I love her perseverance. She's done really well, hasn't she? And she's, mm. she's very come charming, out. Very charming, very yeah. lovely person. So we're going to be hearing now from Sarah Glover talking to Linda and I. And then I just thought, do you know what? If you give me a pot of nail varnish and a nail file, I will teach these girls a skill. What is your perception of beauticians? Lots of us visit them to make our nails look nice. Often we make friends with them and chat to them. They're our confidants. They change the world in a small way. But today we meet a beautician who's changing the world for lots of people. In particular, women who are in desperate need of a skill and a way of making a living with just a nail file and a pot of polish. Sarah Glover has set up a charity called Born to be Beautiful. Sarah, tell us about why you set up this charity. I heard a friend of mine speaking about his trip to India where he visited a charity. As part of the visit to the charity, they were showing him the injustices that happen in India. And they took him to this street and he walked down the street and it was a line of brothels. And he said that on that line, part of the brothels were offering young little girls and they were chained to their beds. That's that's hard. It's it's unbearable, really, isn't it? It was. And as a mother, as a woman, as anybody would feel, it was um, a devastating thing for me to hear. And he talked a little bit more, not in too much detail, but he said when he got to the end of that street, it affected him so badly. He was so distressed and distraught that he threw up. And that story actually haunted me for the next couple of years. I asked him, would he take me on a trip? I I don't know why I wanted to go and see it. It was a ridiculous thing. I didn't want to see that. I just wanted to, I suppose, get in touch with what they were doing in India and how life really was. Because I, at the time, was living in my perfect little house in Cambridge. I had my two daughters in lovely Cambridge schools. And we cycled to school across the park. And everything was very lovely. And now I'd heard this... I was absolutely broken. I really was broken. It's strange, isn't it, that some things just strike a chord with you. But often what happens when you hear these things is in time, you kind of start to put them to the back of your mind and you forget about them. But you didn't, did you? In 2010, so that was two years after I'd heard the talk, it still hurt me, but I had put it back to my mind because I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to make a change. And at 2010, I was training to climb Kilimanjaro. We were raising funds for a, a girlfriend's charity called Climb for Freedom and we raised money to have a safe house in London for people who've been trafficked. And I'd just set up my own salon in Cambridge and I was doing lots of retraining as a beautician because I'd stopped while I was a mother. I was busy and he phoned and he said, would you like to come on this trip? And I thought, oh yeah, I'll come. Uh, I'll tick the box and I'll raise some money. And didn't really think deeply into it until I got there. And in fact, 
the first night we were there, we went to a meeting and they were just talking. We were in India. It was very hot. And I can remember they were playing music and the fans were going to keep us cool. And um, they were telling some stories. And I can remember my heart breaking once again. And it was horrific. Where did this take you after this trip? What what happened? I suppose after I'd gone to India in 2010 with this guy and, and the, the team, they took us to a safe house. A few of us were allowed to go into a safe house. A few girls only were allowed to go and we were taken into the suburbs really of of Mumbai and we saw this safe house of these uh, young women who had been rescued from trafficking. Some of them had been sold as little tiny children into the brothels and some of them had just been found wandering. So these girls, I saw them there and again I had a moment where there was two little girls in front of me. They were 14 and 15 and they were looking down. They wouldn't look me in the eye and because they were ashamed of what they had done. And I remember standing there feeling absolutely ashamed of what I had done. And I thought, how can I be so preoccupied with my own perfect little life and not be doing anything for the girls across the ocean? You know. Because you were saying that you had daughters the same age back here. So yes. it really struck a chord as well, that one, didn't it? Absolutely. They were the exact same age. So they stood next to each other the same way my daughters would stand next to each other and and I couldn't I couldn't reconcile it didn't make sense what were you thinking how could you help them so you could see them being very helpless you knew you had a life at home that was very comfortable but how are you going to connect with them well I'm a beautician and if you see somebody in distress the first thing you do as a beautician is you go oh would you like your nails done or oh shall I plait your hair or shall I brush your hair or, or something like that because I don't know it's a, something about beauticians we're very nurturing we're normally really lovely kind people we care we care for our sisters we do that's the way we are and the whole point of this charity is to give the women the confidence to go out and earn a living on their own and not be dependent on horrible stories that we're hearing about you were saying earlier about human trafficking which yeah. obviously it's it, it's hard to listen to, but I, I yeah. think it would be good if you could just explain why you you saw this and, and why you wanted to move forward. Yeah, human trafficking is so, so, so despicable. I actually won't speak about the stories I heard, and, and actually I cannot hear the stories now because they, they're, they're so beyond what you could ever think of. There are women and men who who can tell you those stories and they tell them beautifully but I cannot tell those stories because they I can't manage. But um, I suppose I was standing looking at these two young women thinking what can I do to help? We all do. I can raise money. I can do this. I can do that. And then I just thought, do you know what? If you give me a pot of nail varnish and a nail file, I will teach these girls a skill. And I knew that they could sit on their doorstep. They could sit right wherever they were and they could do somebody's nails and they could get some money for it. And then they could feed themselves. They wouldn't be trapped anymore. They could feed themselves. If they got really good at it, they could feed their kids. They could send their children to school, which some of our women are doing now. They're taking them to the doctor and and some of our women have actually grown and set up their own little businesses. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple but brilliant idea, actually. Thank you. It's it's grown a little bit. Now we actually give them full kits, which are beautiful. I mean, anyone in the UK doing a beauty training course would love one of our kits. They're worth about between two and £300 because we have some great people who send us products, high-end products, and we teach them how to use these products. And then when we leave, we give every single girl a kit, a full kit, where they can do at least 50 manicures 
or pedicures. People from Canada have sent us these, again, gorgeous uniforms and a certificate and then they can go. Sarah, did you have any resistance to it at the beginning? Did you find that the, the women found it very hard to yeah. to come to you first? Yeah, the the charities gather the women. So I work with the charity, so I always work with a charity partner. So they gather the girls. They normally are fee- having feeding programs or other programs for little ones. And then they've got these teenage girls or, you know, young women or even the older women of 60. They have these women and they're not quite sure what to do with them. Apart from feed them, they, they don't know how to employ them because there's no educational, there's no vocational schools. Well, there are, but they're for the elite girls in both India and in Africa. When we gave the certificates at the end of the course, one of the women got down on her knees and bowed her head to me and put her hand up and said thank you for doing that she said you touched us I'm surprised I haven't cried actually which is quite good because normally I cry at that moment because it still gets me and I thought do you know what if I was in her shoes and I was in the gutter with a a disease that nobody would touch me and and I had become the outcast of the village I also would be on my knees if somebody came and helped me so how does this work? You get these women and you put them on this course. How long is the course, first of all, and who's taking it? So the course is two weeks. It's Monday to Friday, full time, because we're basically taking them from nothing to something. And I want them to be good. You know, I want them to be proud of what they do. I want them to do a very good job. So we teach them anatomy, physiology. They know all the, not all the Latin names, but they do learn the Latin names of the muscles. They learn the Latin names of the nails. They understand care. So the charity, our partner charities, they they have some responsibilities. So if they want me to come, their responsibility is to provide me with a suitable training room and to bring the girls and to do the application forms. And as an ongoing thing, are, are these courses run all the time or is it just when you're out there or how, how does that work? At the moment, it's just when I go. Uh, I do have some other people who are learning to train. There are the beauticians who are having it taking their teaching qualification and um, they'd like to to do it as well but at the moment we're quite a small charity so it's just when I go mm-hmm. um, although we have trained 104 women so far which is quite exciting. You explained earlier that they come away with a beautician box and they have a uniform and so they become very skilled and they have yeah. a style but it must have been really hard to have explained that to them from the beginning, not having anything, and then suddenly walking out of a course looking like you do. How did you get that across? How did you draw them in? I'm fascinated by that. It's a gradual process, and they have to learn to trust me to start with. They don't even trust me because they're not, trust isn't in their vocab. The trust has been completely beaten out of them, you know, in, in many ways. And we couldn't possibly show them the full kit on day one. We don't show them anything. The day one, they get a pencil, they get some colours, like three or four colours, uh, because we, you know, we we teach them. They have handouts and they have to colour bits of different parts of the nail in and everything. They get a pencil, they get a pen, they get some colours, they get some handout, and then they get a folder to put their stuff in. And they can't even believe that. Yeah, honestly, that, that, that's a huge thing to them. That's huge. Yeah. So that's day one, and then day two, we will teach them hand washing. Is the first thing. So this is the first real moment, I think, when they get to feel what we're bringing them because we, we have bowls that, that we get there. That's another thing the charity have to provide, their bowls. But we always bring beautiful hand wash because that's what's donated to us. And so everyone gets to wash their hands in hot water. 
we, they bring towels as well. We give them each a little towel. So that's the first time when they think, oh, my goodness. And we teach them hand-washing skills because that is the number one life-saving skill in India and in Uganda. Now, I get the impression, Sarah, from doing this, you've learnt a hell of a lot since starting this charity. What challenges have you had in producing this amazing charity, Born to be Beautiful? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have had quite a few challenges. Yeah, I've had loads of challenges. But I suppose I made a choice. When I first thought about helping these girls, I I realised that to ask for money constantly and to ask for people to come with me, I'm going to have set up a charity. And so I looked on the Charity Commission website and um, I can remember having to read that. It took me two months to read that. I used to set myself aside two hours a day and I read the website with a dictionary. I didn't even understand the words. I never, I didn't. They don't make it easy, really, do they? Don't, really. They don't. Yeah. They, they have simplified it, bless them now. But back, you know, I know it's at 10 years, but they, it, I couldn't understand it. And I remember thinking, why, why would I do this? I have, I'm a beautician. I don't know all this stuff. It was ridiculous to me. So that was a huge challenge. But I do get offered wonderful jobs in uh, London or in, like, in Dubai where the pay is ridiculous. And I'm like, well, I've got to do my charity. You know, so I can't do that. So I have a little job in Cambridge three days a week that I that I work out. Yeah. I would urge people to look at your website, born to be beautiful dot org. It is really, really good. Packed with information. Very, very good. But I mean, to get those skill sets, it costs a fortune, you know, if you're paying for them. Marketing and, and website design and stuff. I say to my volunteers, rightly or wrongly, you have to get that for free. Whatever it is they want, I say, you have to do that for free. We are not spending our money here in the UK. We are taking our money out to Uganda or to India. I think that's where the little charities really come into their own because the money that goes into those little charities actually benefits the end the end user, let's call them. Yeah. It benefits the people who really need it most. And I, I love that. I love the fact that small charities are very, very sure that every penny is spent in the right way. Well, today as well, if somebody gives me a £20 note, I can take a photo of it with my iPhone and I can show them the journey that £20 note goes, you know, and it, it gets to them. And the other thing is great is I take the kits. We take the kits in our suitcases. So the team come together before we go on a, on a course and I go, we've got 25 kits to take with us, plus uniforms, plus pens and pencils, plus my teaching materials, which I have to carry anyway. We have to get them through our suitcases. So you pack light everyone has to pack light and they have to have part of the kit with us so we take it and we use it we teach with it and then we give it to them so the stuff people give is getting and we can we can video it and we do video it yeah. so no matter how small or large a charity is you still got to run the charity so in many ways it is like a business isn't it so you've had to become well you probably were very organized you sound very organized anyway but you've had to be very on it because you've got quite a few helping in your charity and has that journey been quite a sort of a learning curve for you it's a huge learning curve. I constantly feel that I fall short across the board, actually, in every area. Because I think as well, when you're running a charity, you always see the need. There's always so much need. And you think, oh, gosh, I need to get bigger. I need to do better. I need to have better. You know, I need to be better as a as a woman. And yeah, I do feel that quite a lot. That's interesting. As a woman. Why, why do you say as a woman as opposed to <sighs> I suppose, a man? I suppose because I am a woman. I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know. Why would I say that? You don't feel that imposter syndrome. Please don't tell me you feel the imposter no, syndrome. No, no, I don't actually, no. is, thank goodness, because I know I've got probably loads of other syndromes, <laughs> but not that one. <laughs> 
tell us about the trips because you don't go on your own usually, do you? You take other people with you. Tell us about how you find them and what they do when you go out there. The people who um, I find actually find me which is fantastic. I have people email me saying, I've heard what you do, could I come on a trip? And I, I normally say yes, but there is quite a process you have to go through. It's very, you know, you wouldn't know you were going through the process, but you are going through a process. It's cost about £2,000 to take somebody with me to Uganda because, say for instance, in Uganda, we travel to Entebbe, which is the... Um, the main airport there but then we have an eight hour journey so we have to have a driver and we have to then stop over sometimes and we always stay in good hotels you know if we stay in the flea bitten hotels you know they won't have any fire regulations you know you you get sick from the food when I went to India it was when there were bombs going off when I went to Uganda there was you know um, almost a coup years ago when they when they had that uprising you have to be somewhere safe you have to be somewhere where something kicks off, which it can do instantly, especially when you're not up to speed with what's going on in the country or, you know, something happens. You have to be somewhere where if something happens, you will be looked after. You won't be left. So we always stay in a good hotel that has good security and, and that costs. And we don't actually make any profit out of that whatsoever. That is the cost. And so you have to be prepared to pay that. And then when you come, you'd come and you journey with us. It's often a very big shock for that person. So we, there's normally about four or five of us who go on a trip, a two-week trip. You stay for two weeks. I will have already spoken to you about what it is. Most people have something in their mind they want to bring. We had a, a lawyer, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, she was head of Bartley's and now she's working um, advising the government. And because we bring such, uh, the people who come are such high calibre, they always have something fantastic. So I let them teach that sort of in the down times. You know, there's other, you don't just teach beauty, we have to teach behaviour, we have to teach trust, we have to teach honesty. They get their first lesson in honesty is on day one, when that night I give them everyone a polish to take home with them. And I say, paint your nails, paint your mum's nails, your auntie's nails, your daughter's nails, and then bring that polish back tomorrow. And if you can imagine when you have nothing, absolutely nothing, no, a bare floor, a bare walls, bringing that polish back is a really tricky thing for them to do. Yeah. And do you find that sometimes happens? Yep, some of the girls do. <clears throat> and we count them in and we count them out. And um, they wrestle with bringing it back because it's like... <gasps> Yeah, because that's they don't know they they don't know what they're going to get they don't know they're going to get that entire kit they have no idea as far as they're concerned they had a piece of paper and a pencil which we also take in with us because we don't let them take it away because it might never come back so they don't know what's going to happen yeah. if you were able to advise anyone setting up a charity what have you learned that you would pass on to to somebody else doing something very similar to you I would say to them to ask people who've gone before them and say what would be the foundation stones that you would use. You know, somebody, when I asked that question, somebody said to me, make sure you always work with local partners so you're, you don't just go in and do something and then gone forever. And somebody else said, make it self-sustaining. You know, make it into something so you don't constantly have to raise money. You know, I had some incredible advice. I would say go to people who've gone before you mm. and listen to what they have to say. Sarah, it's it's great to hear what you're doing and it, it's a really commendable thing. It's always good to keep things going. And I know you said earlier that you want people to come and visit you and see what you do. And if they are keen 
to help you? Yeah, I think most people love, I mean, you don't, the best feeling you can ever have is when you help somebody, isn't it? You do feel good about yourself, there's no doubt about it. And I know there's some incredibly well-skilled people here in Cambridge. I am a beautician you know, who set up a charity because I can paint nails. So there's all the skills that we need in a business and running a charity that I either have to learn, which takes a while, or I have to, somebody else has to come and do it. So if anybody would love to come and and just bring who they are, basically, to the table, we would love to have it because I'd like to build this charity into something that was um, strong and stable and self-sustaining. Well, it's been lovely talking to you. It really has, Sarah Glover. I, I think for you know the charity Born to Be Beautiful is exceptional, and, and you've worked very, very hard. You can tell you've worked hard in this, and we wish you all the very best. Yes, we do. It's been great. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a complete pleasure being here. Thank you. And that was Sarah Glover talking to Susie Thorpe and me, Linda Ness.